I am not what I thought I was, nor what I once was. I am not an ugly duckling Christian. I am a child of God. You raised us up with Christ to new life. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. Hello there, I'm Bill Wright, and today Tom brings us part 12 of his current series titled, This Is Your Life. We're looking at the incredible and wondrous work of God in salvation. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul is saying that those of us in Christ are not only connected to Christ in His death, not only connected to Him in His burial, and not only connected to Him in His resurrection. If you are in Christ, you're also connected to Him in His ascension and exaltation. You are now spiritually seated with Christ in heaven. When Christ ascended, physically to heaven, it's as if you ascended with him spiritually, and today you sit with him on his throne. What are the ramifications of this amazing reality? And a related question, if you're not in Christ, where then are you? Keep all that in mind as we join Tom Pennington now on The Word Unleashed. Verse 5, God has made us alive together with Christ. That's the first one. Number two is in verse six. God has raised us up with him. And the third verb also in verse six, God has seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Each of those verbs gives us a rich insight into what God has done. Now, you gotta put on your thinking caps and stay with me because this is not light stuff. This is not shallow. This is not to have a wonderful relationship and better sex in your marriage, and all of the stuff and trivia that's so much a part of the Christian community. But this is important. Remember, Paul was with these people for more than 18 months, and as he writes back to them, this is what's on his heart for them to understand. These are deep things, but they're obviously crucial to our understanding as Christians. So let's briefly look at each of these things God has done together, these changes that he has wrought. Verb number one, verse five, he has made us alive. He has made us alive. Back in verse one and again in verse five, we were told that we were spiritually dead, unable to respond to God. And in a miracle of grace, God gave us spiritual life. He made us alive. But the most important thing to notice is that with each of these verbs, It's in conjunction with our relationship to Jesus Christ. Notice this new spiritual life becomes ours only because of our connection to Jesus Christ. He has made us alive together with Christ. That's an interesting expression. This really takes us back to chapter 1. You remember, if you have a good memory, go back to chapter 1. We looked at what it means to be in Christ. Remember that constantly recurring phrase, in Him, in Christ? We learned when we went through that, we discovered that in Christ means two things. It means that Christ is our representative. Anything Christ does, we get the credit for. We are in Him in the sense that He is our representative. 
And secondly, it means that at the moment of our salvation, we come to be spiritually united to Christ. We're in Him as the branches are in the vine. There is, as it were, a spiritual umbilical cord running all the way from Christ in heaven down to our spiritual life. So keep both of those in mind. In Christ means that He is our representative. Whatever He does, we get the credit for. And secondly, we are spiritually united to Him so that His life actually flows to us and gives us spiritual life. Now, in, in chapter 1, Paul made the point that every spiritual blessing we enjoy comes to us solely because of that relationship, because we are in Christ. And here again, Paul reminds us that even the fact that we have spiritual life is because of that connection. Now, this is going to seem odd to you, but stay with me. This is what Paul says in a number of his epistles. Paul says that when Christ died... Because we were in Christ, because He was our representative, what happened to Him, we get credit for. When He died, we died. We died with Him. That means that when Christ died, the person that we used to be died with Him. We died with Him to the curse of the law. We died with Him to the wrath of God. When Christ died, I was in Him as my representative, dying with Him. And the reality of what happened when Christ died as my representative is applied to me at the moment of salvation when I am spiritually united to Jesus Christ. My representative then actually applied to me at the moment of salvation. My new spiritual life is connected to the new life Christ himself received when he rose from the dead. I have been made alive with the life of Jesus Christ. He is the life. He is my life. He's the reason I have spiritual life. It's his life that pulses through you and me if you're a Christian. Theologians called this miracle of new life that has been given to us regeneration. Regenerate, to regenerate simply means to impart life. Listen to Robert Raymond in his systematic theology. He defines regeneration like this. Listen carefully. Again, I, I'm, I told you, warned you, you need your thinking cap on. Stay with me. It's worth the effort. Robert Raymond says, it is the subconscious, that is regeneration, is the subconscious implanting of the principle of a new spiritual life in the soul. It affects an instantaneous change in the whole man, intellectually, emotionally, and morally. And it enables the elect sinner to respond in repentance and faith to the proclamation of the gospel directed to his conscious understanding and will. Regeneration is when God gives you life when he implants in you a new principle of life, the very life of Christ, and you are then enabled to believe the gospel and to repent and to turn to God. Regeneration is a divine act of God through his spirit. John 1.13 says, You were born not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, not of your own will, but of God. It is an instantaneous act. It happens like that at a moment in time. At one moment, I'm spiritually dead, and the next moment, I'm spiritually alive. How does God accomplish it? He accomplishes it 
through the instrument of His Word. He uses His Word to bring that life to us. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23, For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but of imperishable seed. What is this imperishable seed that has brought this life to us? Through the living and enduring Word of God. You heard the Word preached. God, the Holy Spirit, in your life, connected you to the life of Christ, gave you new life, and you were able then to repent and believe and respond to the gospel. Now, to help this make more sense to us and to make it clearer, the Bible gives us three illustrations. Three illustrations to help us understand this new life that's happened. The first illustration is resurrection, the image of resurrection. That's what we have here in Ephesians 2. It occurs again in Colossians 2. There's a dead body. There's no life. The life is gone. And God comes along and he raises that person from the dead. That's one picture of regeneration. There's a second picture. It's the picture of creation. Creation. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 literally says, If anyone in Christ, a new creation... Excuse me. If anyone in Christ, a new creation. It's as if God recreates us. Not only does He bring our dead hearts to life and give us spiritual life, but it's as if He remakes us. He creates us fresh. He creates us all over again. That's the picture. By the way, that's here in Ephesians 2 as well. Look down at verse 10. We are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. So there's resurrection, there's creation, but the third image is the image of birth. This is the most familiar one. Back in the 70s and 80s, people used to talk, Christians used to talk about people needing to be born again. That image comes from John chapter 3, where Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, and he talks to Nicodemus because Nicodemus really believed he could, on his own, accomplish salvation. He had bought into first century Judaism, and he really thought that of his own efforts, he could see the kingdom of God. And Christ lays this heavy pronouncement on him and says, listen, unless you are born again, unless you are born a second time, unless you are born from above, unless you experience birth and start life all over again, you have no hope. And what's Nicodemus' response? I can't do that. How can anyone go back a second time into his mother's womb? And Jesus said, that's exactly right. In fact, let me tell you how hopeless your situation is. The Spirit has to bring that life, and the Spirit is like the wind. You can't command the wind. You can't control the wind. You can't see the wind. All you see is the effects. You know what he was telling Nicodemus? Your situation is utterly hopeless unless God brings you new life unless he births you all over again. It's a powerful picture. If you're a Christian, what happened at the moment of your salvation was you were resurrected from the dead. God recreated you and made you a new person. And God gave you a second birth. A new start. 
That's regeneration. We are changed at every level. We have a new mind that can understand the things of God, 1 Corinthians 2.16. We have a new heart that can love God, Romans 5.5. We have a new will that longs to obey God, Romans 6. I love Charles Wesley's hymn as it recounts this wonderful reality of regeneration. And can it be? You remember the verse? Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and error's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke, the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off, my heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. That's regeneration. And if you're in Christ, that's what's happened to you. God made us alive. That's just the first thing God did. The second verb comes in verse 6. God has raised us up. Now, of course, God raised Christ physically. Back in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 20, he says this, God raised Christ from the dead. But when Christ was raised from the dead, when God raised Christ physically, at the same time, he did that spiritually for believers. We're not talking about your future physical resurrection. That's a reality, but that's not what this passage is talking about. It's talking about a spiritual reality in the past. Remember, Christ was our representative. We were in him. Whatever happened to him, we get credit for. So Christ died. He was buried, but he didn't stay buried. He rose from the dead. And in the mind of God, he raised us spiritually from the dead. When God raised Christ up physically from the dead, he raised us up spiritually. And then at the moment we believed, the benefit of, his, of being raised up spiritually with Christ was applied to us. God treated you at the moment you believed as if you had been raised with Christ. You say, well, why does that matter? Well, let me show you. Turn to Romans 6. Paul here, in one of the most profound and important passages in all the New Testament, explains it. And we don't have long to deal with it, so I'm not going to take long. But I just want to give you the big picture. Here Paul tells us that the dominion or rule of sin in our lives is broken. Verse 2, we died to sin. This is the heart of his argument through these first verses of Romans 6. We died to sin. Verses 3 through 5 tell us that our death to sin was accomplished because of our spiritual union with Christ. In other words, because we were connected to Christ, because we were in Christ. We died with Christ and we died to sin. Verse 6. Our death to sin involved the death of our old self. Look at verse 6. Knowing this, that our old self, that is our unregenerate self, the person you used to be before Christ, was crucified with Christ. Remember, he was your representative. What happened to him happened to you. When he died, you died. Your old self died in order that our body of sin, and that's just another way to say our old self, might be done away with. Our old self was done away with, are rendered powerless, inoperative. Sin is still present in us, but its power has been broken. 
Our union with Christ and the death of our unregenerate self brings new life. How do we respond to that? What do we do with this information? Seems pretty deep. What do we do with it? Well, look at verse 11. Consider. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. The word consider basically means believe it. Have unreserved confidence that this really happened. You're not playing mind games. God says this happened. And then, the second thing you're to do comes in verse 13. And present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead, and your members present them as instruments of righteousness to God. With an act of the will, say, I believe that's true, and I'm going to act in light of it. And I'm going to present myself not as a slave to sin anymore, but as a slave to God. This is developed more, by the way, in verses 15 through 18. I just don't have time to go there. Let me, let me let Sinclair Ferguson speak to this. Listen carefully to what he writes in his excellent little book on the Christian life. He says, By the new birth, a radical break with sin takes place. Although the character of sin in the Christian is no different from its character before he became a child of God, the status of sin has been dramatically changed. Formerly, it reigned like a king. But now, though it's still present, it has been dethroned and no longer has a rightful claim upon our lives. The rule and dominion of sin has been broken because we were raised to new life with Christ. And that brings a second result of this being raised to new life in Christ. And that's not only is the dominion of sin broken, but we are given a new ability to obey God. God gives us the capacity. Look at verse 17. But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, watch this, you became slaves of righteousness. So our slavery to sin was broken, and God gives us a new ability to obey Him and to be slaves of righteousness. But remember, this freedom from the slavery and dominion of sin is not the end of your war with sin. It's only the beginning. You will battle it all your life. But when we were raised up with Christ, a radical change occurred. So what do we do with the sin we still have? You say, boy, that sounds wonderful, but I look at my life and it doesn't look exactly like that. Again, listen to Sinclair Ferguson. The great mistake many of us make is to look only at our sin and failure and then ask a little despairingly, what can I do? But our need is not to do. It is first of all to understand what God has done. To see that what he has made us through his son is a man or a woman who has died with Christ to sin's dominion and has been raised with Christ to new life. I am not what I thought I was, nor what I once was. I am not an ugly duckling Christian. I am a child of God. You raised us up with Christ to new life. The third verb comes in verse 6. He has seated us with him together in the heavenlies. After his resurrection, of course, Christ ascended into heaven, took his seat at the right hand of God. This in the heavenly simply refers, as we learned in chapter 1, to the realm of heaven. So here's what Paul is saying. Listen carefully. 
Paul is amazingly saying that we were not only connected to Christ in his death, not only connected to him in his burial, not only connected to him in his resurrection, but in the mind of God, we were also connected to Christ in his ascension and exaltation. Something has happened. We now are seated with Christ in heaven. You say, well, I feel a whole lot like I'm seated here in Dallas. Listen carefully to what Paul is saying. This is true. This has happened to you. This isn't a mind game. Christ is your representative. Whatever he does, you get the credit for. After he was raised to new life, he ascended, and he's now sitting at God's right hand. While you're sitting here in Dallas, in the mind of God, it is as if you are seated with Christ in heaven. When Christ ascended physically, it's as if we ascended with him spiritually, and today we sit with him on his throne What are the ramifications of this? Well, before this dramatic change, we lived here in the world as citizens of the world, in lockstep with everything that happens here in the world. But now, we belong already to a different kingdom. The world doesn't enslave us any longer. And just as Christ is now exalted to a position of power and authority over the evil powers around Him, so do we. We are seated with Christ in His throne. We no longer belong to this world. We belong to the kingdom of God. We are no longer in the kingdom of Satan. We are in the kingdom of God. We're no longer under the power of Satan, under the prince of the power of the air. We are under the power of the Holy Spirit. As Lloyd-Jones says, we already know something of the life of heaven, even in this world. How should this truth affect us? Seems ethereal and unreal. How should it affect us? Look at Colossians 3. Very practical. Colossians 3 verse 1. If you have been raised with Christ, and we have, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, where you have been seated with Him at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. Stop thinking like an earthling. Stop thinking like you belong here. You don't belong here. In the mind of God, it's as if you're already seated with Christ in heaven. So stop thinking about all the stuff. And instead, think about the things of heaven. You say, well, does that mean like streets of gold and you know, gates of pearl? No, that means what's in the Scripture. Think God's thoughts. Think on heavenly things Don't occupy yourself with all the stuff. You don't belong here anymore. Don't keep in step with the world like you used to. You've got a new kingdom. You belong somewhere else. What a dramatic change God has accomplished for us. Instead of our being spiritually dead, God has united us to Christ and given us new spiritual life. Instead of slavery to sin to our lusts, as the first three verses describe. God has broken that power by raising us with Christ and giving us the power to live a new life of obedience. Instead of our being tied to this world and walking according to its course and being under the authority of the prince of the power of the air, God has put us into His kingdom and exalted us above our enemies, even to the throne of God Himself. That's the change. Let me ask you this morning, Are you spiritually alive? 
Are you aware that spiritual life is in you, coursing through your veins, changing you, working in you? You see, where there is life, there is self-awareness. There is evidence of life. Do you see the evidence? Do you see the results? Even though you still struggle with sin, do you sense that you are no longer under its power like you used to be? Do you now have the ability to obey God? Do you sense that you don't belong here in this world, that heaven in a sense is already your home, and you look forward to being there with with the righteous and with Christ, with God? If you're truly a Christian, then those things will be true to some degree. What a dramatic change God has produced in us by His grace. Let's pray together. That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part 12 of his current series titled, This Is Your Life. Join us next time for part 13. Does the Bible speak about the government and structure of the church? In his book, A Biblical Case for Elder Rule, Tom Pennington presents in-depth evidence from Scripture to show that God intends every local church to be governed by a plurality of godly men. In an age where a biblical ecclesiology is often neglected, it is critical to recapture what the Bible teaches about the structure of the church. Purchase your copy of Tom's book, A Biblical Case for Elder Rule, today at thewordunleashed.org. That's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory explaining God's truth.